Welcome to Church 213. We pray that the message today is a clear picture of who Christ wants to be in your life. We trust God for a miracle in the next few minutes. Thanks for listening. We're going to continue in our series, week two. I spy with my little eye. Okay, if you had a sermon guide, you see it there. If you can, if you can see this screen, most of you can. Uh, it's the sermon series in week two. We're talking about been there, done that. We've all said that from time to time, right? The reason I think that this series is so important is because the mess that we're in as a world is a result that little by little um, people have lost the concept of God's majesty. Just just the power and the awe and the wonder has, has just been lost. And with the loss of that sort of thing comes further loss of his divine presence. And so it's important that we know what we believe because what we believe affects how we live. Amen? Theology always affects your ethics. Because to really know him is to really worship him. And to really worship him flows from a place that you really know him. And if you've tasted and you've seen the goodness of God, you'll never turn back. So it's important that we know who we are worshiping. And so it's for that reason the most important question that we can ask ourselves, our families, as a church family, is who is God? And this is kind of a recap from, from, from last week. Who is God? See, some people think that... Um, the Lord is like some heavenly prison warden just waiting for you to make a wrong turn so he can throw you in the slammer, throw away the key. And there, you know, there's that view. Some people believe that God is like this heavenly grandfather that's just chill, you know, letting you do whatever you want. Oh, you know, y'all come on over to the house. Ah, it's all right. Oh, if that makes you happy, yeah. There are those views out there. Those are very incorrect. And so it's important for us to grasp who God is if we're going to have any real meaning and real depth in our faith. We have to know who our daddy is. Who's your daddy? You have to know who your father is. And, um, and so this is on your notes right here. If you're new with us and you're a guest with us, thank you again. We have these to fill out. Kind of help you follow along, some big ideas, some one-liners, some themes. Things you can take back to the house and you can marinate on. Um, because I'm going to say a lot of words, and I want you to miss them. So these are like the key things. So uh, what you need to know is this. The best prediction of a person's future is what their heart conceives God to be like. Who's your daddy? Who is your father? Knowing who that is will in, uh, affect how you live, because theology always affects ethics. Last week, we talked about, we talked about, the omnipotence of God. The power, meaning all-powerful. God is all that and what? A bag of chips. He's got it all. All that and a bag of chips. So this morning, I want to look at um, another permanent quality of God, and that is that God is eternal. The eternal God. I spy with my little eye one who's been there and done that. See where we came around there? We're also going to go to Psalm 90. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Psalm 90. If you open your Bibles right to the middle, 
usually it'll end up in Psalms, okay? And then find 90 from there. So as you're getting there, or scrolling there, or bringing that scripture up, you guys, let's stand together in honor of God's word. Not just the word that we're going to read here in Psalm 90, but the other scripture that, um, that we're going to read today to go along with this message. Psalm 90, if you're there, say I'm there. Psalm 90, starting in verse 1. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Your, your scripture may say, from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 3, you return to mankind to the dust. Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday and passes by like a few hours in the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified of your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all of our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Verse 13, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Woo! Man, I've been chewing on this all week. It's so powerful. Let's pray. God, thank you for your powerful word this morning. So God, as we together, as people, unpack its truth. God, use it. Quickness. Pierce our hearts. So we will be impacted and leave this place changed knowing that we have all the pieces that are found in you, knowing that when we step out on faith into the deep waters, trusting in who you are and your nature, our lives will never be the same. God, help us to number our days, establish the work of our hands, because you are the eternal God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. See, when Moses was a very old man, he wrote this psalm. So, 
chronologically, you understand that this, because Moses wrote it, is probably the oldest psalm. And he wrote this to celebrate the rock-solid theological point that God was eternal. God had been there and done that. And when you say that phrase, been there, done that, really what you're saying is there's no need to experience what I've already experienced through the past. Been there, done that. Some people will even add this little tagline, got the t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Because what you've experienced in the past, you don't have to go through that again. You've already been there and what? Done that. It's why I don't shop at the Conyers Walmart. Been there. Done that. It's why I don't deer hunt from a climbing stand. Been there, done that. It's why I do go to speed, go the speed limit in, in school zones. Mm. That one hurt. That one messed me up for about a month, didn't it? It's why I don't go into haunted houses. I'm not going to pay somebody to scare me. If you get your kicks out of making me yell and scream and get nauseous, you better pay me. Been there, done that. We all have situations like that. We, we've all done things that we've said, been there, done that. It's because we've experienced a sequence of events in a given time period that we can understand life better. That's how we understand reality. Things happen one after the other. But when the concept of time is found in the scripture, it always refers to our time. It never refers to God's time because God is eternal. Last week, we, we, we looked at the fact that God was almighty, all that and a bag of chips. And because he is not bound, he is almighty, because he's not bound by the things that we are limited to, he therefore cannot be in, uh, in bound by our time. Either he's all that in a bag of chips or he's not. And if he's all-powerful, then he's not bound by the things that we have to submit our power to. And so God, through Moses in Psalm 90, is communicating this, this nature of God very clearly. You remember, he's, Moses is cheering on the people as they are moving into the promised land. So a lot of what you hear Moses say through, De through Psalm and through Deuteronomy is like the last will and testament. It's here we are. I'm not going with you, but please, please don't forget these things as you make the transition because as you make the transition you're going to be tempted to forget the nature of who God is so let me remind you kind of where, where, where Moses is coming from he's saying God is eternal God has no beginning and he has no end so asking how old God is is an illogical question because he's no older now than he was a hundred years ago. He's no older now than he was a thousand years ago. He's simply not bound by the restrictions that govern our world. If you're with me, say I am. The thing, the law that governs our natural world, he is beyond those things. And I know that hurts your brain. That's a brain pain. I know it does. One day my brain's going to explode. You know what it's going to sound like? 
I, I tell Parker, say, son, one day your brain's going to get so big, it's going to get the size of a BB and roll out the side of your ear. <laughs> but I can do that. Because I pay his insurance. He can't do anything about it. <laughs> but no, you know, we just can't understand those things. It's a brain pain. This is on your notes. God's nature is trustworthy despite being hard to understand. Amen? It's there. Despite being hard to understand, it's trustworthy. You can trust it, even though it's very difficult to grasp. See, your kids don't understand how the ingredients work in toothpaste to fight cavities. But they trust it, don't they? You don't understand how, how um, the internal combustion rate of your car's engine works. But you got in and you brought it over to church this morning. Right? Husbands, we don't understand the many moods of our wives, but we better take them serious. We better trust that they exist. Debbie and I play this little game in the mornings called, What Mood Is She In Today? <laughs> you better trust it. You know it's true. See, the fact that God is eternal goes well beyond what our mind can comprehend and, and, and can grasp. But the concept is it's, it's assumed and it's implied, and it's declared, and it's taken for granted everywhere in the Scriptures. That's why God's nature is everlasting. It's, it's part of the nature, the being. It's like the wetness of water. It's, it just is. The heat of a fire. It just is, right? The, the coldness of ice, the sweetness of sugar, the hardness of stone. You don't question those things. We don't understand them. But, but we know that they are part of the nature of those things. God is the only being that truly and completely has been there and has done that. Amen. A symbol for that is the wedding ring. You know, you know thousands of years ago, the, the wedding ring, they, historians think, um, Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians kind of came up with the idea of a wedding ring, a wedding ring that's round, a wedding ring that's eternal, a ring that has no beginning and it has no end. It's a symbol of unending love. No beginning and no end. Well, God's word toward the end gives us a promise, Revelation 21.6. It says this. It said, then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and I am the omega, the beginning and the end. And I will freely give the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Meaning his own very presence. And see those two words, Alpha and Omega, that's the first alphabet, and the, I mean the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It gives, it gives the idea um, that God was before time and God was at the end of time. And they, and they echo this idea that God was already in existence at the very beginning and will continue to be in existence at the very end. He will always be with us. He will never go away. Amen? So that's the, that's the idea right there. See, for us, you know, we, we can look back and try to remember the earliest memory. You know, we can let our mind's eye go there. And then that'll just kind of vanish. Kind of gets fuzzy, what you can remember. And then you, you can look forward and you, try, you can try to imagine everything that's going to happen in the future, but it kind of fades away. That, that, 
those, those two ends of perspective, they will collapse from exhaustion. The beautiful thing is God is at both of those points and he's unaffected by either. It's so difficult to understand, but we have to grasp it. And here's why that's important. Because if he exists endlessly, then he never came into existence or was. And if he, and, and, and if he exists endlessly, then there is no cause to come into existence. So there's no one that caused him to exist. And I want you to get it. Because God was there at the beginning of time. He's there at the end of time. You know, the beginning and the end of things is not... Um, it's not hard for us to comprehend. You know, something has a start and something has, has an end. Like a ball game. Remember, we live life like this. Our life is a sequence of beginning and endings. You go to a ball game, you go to the first pitch. If you're like me, you stay the last pitch. But you never know what might happen at the end. You think of weddings. There's a beginning and there's an end. A movie. There's a beginning. And then there's the closing credits. But that God appears at the beginning and the end of time simultaneously. It blows your mind, doesn't it? Hard to get your mind around because we see these things in a succession of events. Changes take place not all at once, but they happen a little at a time, beginning and end. But for God, everything that will happen has already happened. He sees the end and the beginning in one view. That is so difficult to grasp because it's unlike anything we can comprehend. Uh, and so I brought a little object lesson to try to get you to grasp it. It really helped me. Simple things for simple minds, which is where I've got it. Um, I use this in staff meetings because staff meetings have a tendency to, to get drawn out. And so this is a 30-minute time glass. So when I meet with a staff or a meeting, you know, I let them know up front, this is not to protect me, this is to protect you. Unless you're on Sunday morning, then you're in for the long haul. So I'll flip it over, and then we'll start meeting, and, you know, 30 minutes is up, we can kind of wrap it up. But as I was thinking about that, I was like, that's a perfect picture of time right there. Because this is our reality right here. We are living, it has a beginning and it has an end. And you can see that sand, it's just going away. Life is indeed like a vapor. So think about it like this, you know. We're born, we're going to die. And the Bible says that God is beyond time. He is not bound by the things that we're, that we're controlled by, which means he sees the beginning and the end in one view. And he is out here. Where is this? But I know where I am. And I know that he controls the conditions of my life. He still holds the whole world in his hands. He is not wringing his hands wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. No, y'all. We serve a God that's been there and done that. He's got it. Does that make sense? Does that help? I'm going to hide it because some of you will be distracted by it. I know. I know. Yeah, you got to know your people. Y'all write this down. God dwells in eternity, but, but time dwells with God. God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. We have to remember 
that theology affects our ethics and a proper view of God, it makes it crystal clear, y'all, who we're singing to, who we're worshiping, who we're giving to, who we're clinging to, who holds us, anchors us, and calls us and loves us. You got to know who your daddy is. God has been there and done that. That's what Moses is saying. And so I want to kind of dissect Psalm 90 a little bit to show us two practical things that will help us as we try to grasp the eternal God. The first thing is this. He's a safe place. He is a safe place. Let's look at verse 1 again. This is so rich. This is, man, so good. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return man to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by. Like a few hours of the night, you end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, and everything withers and it dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified in your wrath. You have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins, and the light of your presence for all of our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass away quickly and we fly away. Verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Now, there's a lot going on right there in verse 1 through 11. You, know, you have the first verses right there. Um, that seem like it's, it's good news. And then in verse 4, you know, verse 4 and 5, it kind of switches gears on you. It pulls that rug out from under you. What this is saying right here is that the truth never changes. And what's actually true for us, it, it's becoming harder and harder to find, right? Man, truth is so elusive today. It's, it's hard for us to grasp it. But its value is still critically important because truth is the only, y'all get this, truth is the only leveling tool that makes things and everybody equal at the table. You've got to have the truth. See, if you remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate said, you know, he kind of brought him into the court, kind of brought him into the side because this was it. This was it for Jesus. Everything he thought, Pilate thought, hinged in his hands and he asked Jesus this question. What's the truth? What is the truth? Because he was, he was looking to administer righteous justice. Because Pilate understood that justice and truth are indivisible. It levels the playing field. And so this opening verse right here still applies. Moses is writing to Israel to remind them that, hey, during some of their most difficult times, that from the beginning into the end of those, God was there through the whole thing. That's what verse 1 is saying. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. He's like, hey, y'all, 40 years in Egyptian captivity. Remember that, remember that generation? Escaped from Pharaoh. Red Sea, wonders, you know, wilderness, 
manna, miracles. And so God is telling them, God was our help in the ages past. And he's like, God will be your hope in the future. I'm not going to be there with you because I have a beginning and an end. But I'm telling you the truth. That's what Moses is telling them. He is eternal. From generation to generation, they had found their refuge in God because, and only because, he was eternal. So he's reminding them of that. Look at verse 2. And so he gives them an object lesson. He says, before the mountains were what? Born, yeah. Before you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. And so what Moses is doing, he reminds them that God is eternal. And he says, hey, I'm going to, let me show you, let me put this into perspective. Let me bring this home where I can get you to get it. He uses this image of a mountain to draw their mind back that every generation had to find refuge in God. And the word refuge right here, um, it, it comes from a Greek word that means dwelling place. And the idea is like a, it's like a fox that takes its babies in a den in the side of a mountain. A place where you rest from what is uncertain and a place that you rest from what's dangerous. He's saying, don't forget this. God's everlasting. So he's reminding the people, he's like, hey, like that created mountain range that is naturally wild and uncertain with valleys that are so deep and walls that are so steep, God is always available as a place to find rest in the hike of life. That's what verse 1-2 verse 1-2 is talking about. I'm the everlasting God. You can trust me. Remember, I birthed the mountains, which you know because you've had to climb up, but in the middle of it all, I am your dwelling place, and I have been. I was your, I was your grandchildren's dwelling place, and I will be your great-great-grandchildren's dwelling place. And while they would face all these things that had beginnings and ends, highs and lows and pains and sufferings, that's kind of where we find ourselves. You may be on a mountain right now. You may, be, you may be on cloud nine. Things are going amazing. God is still God. He is still worthy to be praised. You might be, you might be on the slide down right now, on that steep side. You may be in the deepest valley. But I want you to know, according to this scripture, God is saying, I can still be your dwelling place. I can be your dwelling place. It was what, it was, what was true. And truth brought unity despite adversity. That's why a husband and wife that are equally yoked, that are loving Jesus, can face the deepest, darkest night and know that the night is always the darkest right before the dawn and still find the refuge in the things of God. That's why a student can be facing the most difficult, lonely, darkest place and know that they can't see the hand of God, but you can trust his heart. Because he has been the dwelling place. And a child understands that he can find dwelling safety in the things of God because he's seen his parents do it. From generation to generation. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 27 through 31 kind of reinforces this. Remember Isaiah is coming from a place where the nation was about to be destroyed. They were 
They were always going through ups and downs. In the midst of it all, God's man was proclaiming truth to him. He says, Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole world. He never becomes faint or weary. There's no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and, and strengthens the powerless. Youth may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength and they will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know why you can have that attitude in your walk with the Lord? is because you have found refuge in the one that is beyond the boundaries of your situation. That's a good word. Our comfort comes from knowing that while we are fragile like dust. If you look at verse 3, we're not going to read through, but 3 all the way down to 12 is teaching that yes, God is everlasting. God is faithful. But because man has rebelled against God, there is anger, there is consequences for sin. And that is affecting the life that God wants us to live. And so he's making this point that yeah, hey, we're fragile like dust. And the days that we call our life are going to have a beginning and they're going to have an end. And he says like grass, they're going to grow and they're going to wither. They're going to bloom and they're going to fade. The passing of time, it doesn't affect God's presence and his availability. And so Moses is telling these people right here, pray that you would not stumble and be consumed by the natural consequence of sin around you and forget that God is faithful. Stay in the fight. He's not going anywhere, so neither is my faith. God is not worried, so why are you worried? He's not weary, so our worship can be confident. That's why you can stay in the middle of a storm and praise the Lord. Not because His Word says He will cease the storms in your life, which he certainly can, but he promises because he's outside of that beginning and end, he promises to hold your hand as you are moving through because he sees the beginning and end at the same time. I can't see around the, the corner of, of my life. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, but I know who holds tomorrow. I don't know exactly what's there. I don't know what life has, is going to create for me and my family next week. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or a thousand years from now, but I, but I know the, the, the word says that a thousand years is like yesterday and it passes like a few hours in the night. God is not worried, so I am not worried. I know he's eternal, and so that affects my faith. He's not going anywhere, which is what we need to know in 2021. When it seems like nobody finishes well. Nobody can finish the race. Nobody has the intestinal fortitude to put in the sweat equity of their faith to know the goodness of God. So the first time there's a small presence of heat, they wither away and they're gone. God is not going anywhere. So I can put my faith in that. He's always available. He's always available as a safe place for anyone that will choose to find refuge in Him. And so the first 17 verses 
are telling us that we are in a state of transition. And that's kind of tough to, to admit sometimes. We had a little softball game scrimmage yesterday uh, at a church in Covington and uh, kind of trying to get us warmed up for our start of the season next week. And so um, I'm out there in the, in the outfield, and there was a time in my life that I wanted every ball to be hit to me. I felt like I could, I could play all nine positions. You just put, you can put a little air on it. I can get to it. But I was out there in left center, and I began to think this. I hope nobody hits the ball to me. Where's, where's Chris? Where's my man Chris Atkinson? Chris in here? So me and Chris were out there, and he's thinking the same thing I am. I can see it on his face. I'm glad we're on this side of the field, and I hope nobody hits it to us because there are times where the ball's in the air, and I'm running for it, and there used to be like, there's no way I'm going to drop this. I'm going to try to do my best Andrew Jones. You know what I'm saying? Boom. But now as I'm running, I'm thinking, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this thing's not going to hit me in the face. Y'all pray for me. It's, it, it's, it's a strange phenomenon. But what this is showing is that we are in a constant state of transition. We're here and we're gone. That's what verses 4 through 17, 3 through 17 are saying. Moses is reminding the people, don't forget life moves one after the other and every step of the way things get more difficult because that is the result of rebellion in our lives death and suffering is God's righteous judgment against man's rebellion it has to because without justice there is no goodness and God is good and if he let anything go then he would lose that nature which is impossible so whether sins are committed in public or in secret all are visible in him and it affects it affects our life that's what he's saying look at verse 10 because the wording is really, really beautiful. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are a struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass away, and we fly away quickly. This is not advocating that we get wings when we go to heaven. That's, that's not true. We don't become angels. All right? God created angels, and I'm not one. Okay, maybe a fallen angel, but that's the deal. Okay? What this is saying is, he's making the relationship of, as the bird flies away you know how a bird will fly off in the distance you just kind of disappears a little at a time think of it like a balloon you know you get that balloon and you release it and you can see it but then it fades away slowly that's the picture that Moses is painting right here our lives are flying away it goes by fast doesn't it we were just talking last week it's almost the end of the year where has time gone you know? I mean, it's already April. Then we'll flash our eyes and it will be January of 2022. Things seem to be picking up speed. They are. The older you get, you'll blink your eyes and they'll be gone right there. Genesis chapter 3 says this. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which was taken. 
He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden and to guard the way of the tree of life. See, there's spiritual separation right there, which is where we get the spiritual death. Which means in, from that moment, humanity was plucked from the vine and death of our physical body began slowly right there. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22 says, But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, which is your allegiance, you have your fruit which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so he said I'm beyond time and space Moses is is telling us that God is always a safe place to dwell because you can't lose access to something that can't cease to exist that's why it's important to understand the nature of God because it affects what you believe statistics show that four people are born on the planet every second Four little babies. It also statistically tells us that every second, two people pass away. Two people born, gone. So the question for us this morning is, where are we resting? Where are we resting in this second? Where are we resting in that dash between the dates? Where's our hope? Where's your den found, church? In that mountain peak, in that valley deep, where, where is your den? Dad, where are, you find, where, where are you teaching your family to find shelter in that valley? Where, where is it? It's, it's our responsibility. To generation to generation, to talk about God's splendor, to our kids, to know, for them to know where to run, they have to follow us when we run there ourselves. So, so granddaddy and grandma, what generational legacy of refuge are you leaving your family? Where's your den? Because, isn't that true? Gone. So we have to take advantage of the refuge Romans says, we have to take advantage of the refuge to the snap in Christ. In someone that's beyond time and space, but yet entered our time and space to give us access to eternity. That's what God has done for us. He's everlasting, so we have a safe place. But there's another thing. Yeah, he's a safe place. He's our greatest investment. See, Moses asked God for something wonderful. Look at verse 12. Teach us to number our days carefully. See the intentionality there? Carefully. So that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all of our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us. 
For as many years as we have seen an adversity, God is still in control. He's still all-powerful. He's been there, done that. He's all that in a bag of chips. Let your works be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children with the favor of the Lord. Our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish for us the work of our hands. He's saying in light of this reality that life is short and the effect that sin has had on this small blip that we call life, he's saying, teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days carefully. Help us not take a single one for granted. And that's my prayer for us is that we would catch the brevity of life in our own thoughts. And that would kind of change the way we live. Knowing that life's not guaranteed. And it leads us, as the scripture says, it leads us to, to make godly choices because earth is the only opportunity that you have to invest into eternity. Did y'all catch that? Earth is the only place that you can invest into eternal payout. And while we might make a withdrawal in, her, in heaven, earth is the only place to make that deposit. You know, now you can get cash back everywhere. But I remember um, when, I, when I first got my first checkbook that you could make a withdrawal right by writing a check. But there was only one place you could go to make a deposit. It was at your local bank. And so you could go around, you can go around making withdrawals all you, all you wanted, but there was only one central location that your investment to draw out of could come from, and that was your bank. And for us, this life that we've been given is the only bank that we can invest in if we are going to draw for all of eternity. And the Bible makes it clear that everything in eternity is affected by how you spend your life here. Scripture is clear that life, life is, is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want. But you can only spend it once. And how you spend it affects eternity. There's no coming back later to change the deposit slip. That's not biblical. There's no calling someone when you get there and say, Hey, can you... Can you add something to my account to get me out of this place? No, there's a great chasm that's, that's fixed. No one can get from hell to heaven, and no one can get from heaven to hell. The only way you can get to either one of those is by how you live your life here. So for us, that's the prayer of Moses. Teach us to number our days carefully. It's right there. And so for us, our prayers, what Moses is praying, praying that God's favor would be so much stronger on his people than the effects of sin that it would drive them to God and not away from God. He's saying the things that you're going to face in life are going to be difficult, but I pray that they would draw you to the everlasting God, not away from him. And so if you want your money, and if you want your time, and if you want your, your, your effort and your kids and your job, all that make your life your life, if you want it to count, if you want the space between death and life to last forever, you have to invest that dash into eternal things that have no beginning and have no end. It's the dash between the dates. That's what you've been given right there. And what you do with 
that dash has eternal implications. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. Jesus says this, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but where, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up. Some of your Bibles may say lay up. Yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust or rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the idea right here is, yes, your treasures on heaven, they do include your financial possessions. You know, earthly treasures like, you know, things you can touch. Your cash, you know, your cars, your, your homes. That also includes things you can't touch. Your investment accounts. Your plans for the future. But what Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying you can't have stuff. But you can't own a home. You can't, you know, you can't own, own a nice car. Or you, you can't buy clothes for someone. You can't have more than one pair of jeans. That, that's, not, that's not the context of the scripture. What Jesus is saying is, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And the picture is don't invest things and put your priority in things that are short-term and forfeit what's going to be the long-term investment. That's the key right here. Short-term gains for long-term losses. Man. That's the context. There was a guy, and he, he died and went to heaven. And Jesus met him at the gate. He's like, well, how do things work up here, Jesus? Like, give me, give me, a, uh, give me an idea. What's the value system? Jesus said, well, he said, in heaven, a minute is worth a million years. He's like, whoa. He's like, what else? He said, well, well, how much is a nickel worth? Jesus said, well, it's worth a million dollars. Guy's like, well, great. I'll take two nickels. Jesus said, well, give me a couple minutes. <laughs> Let that one linger a minute. Give me a couple minutes. See, it, it, it's not, God's economy is completely different than ours. And here's why that's important for us. It's all about our value system. It's about what you're looking at. This is on your notes right here. Life is wasted. And I, and I chose that word specifically. I know it's a bold word because it's true. Life is wasted when we prioritize the temporary at the expense of the eternal. It's wasted. It's misused. That's what waste means, to misuse it. Here's the beauty of the eternal nature of God. I'm wrapping it up. Here's the beauty. That when we invest into the things of God, the payout has no end. Hallelujah. It has no end. Really, only God knows the payoff that's coming to a thousand generations now because of the kingdom investment that you've made. Only God knows because only God is eternal. Look at verse 15. It said, make us rejoice for, the, for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years when we have seen adversity 
Let your work be seen by your servants and the splendor by your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish the work of our hands. And then poetically, it's the way the psalm were written. He says it again. Establish the work of our hands. The Bible tells us there are multiple ways that you can store up treasures in heaven. You know, certainly making financial investments. But we see in, in Matthew and Corinthians and, and, and Timothy that faithful enduring endurance to persecution will lead to eternal payoffs. We see in Matthew 5, loving your enemies has eternal payoff. It's so difficult. But remember, it's that dash right there. Give, give the eternal God some, some credit that what's happening right there when you do something for the love of Christ will pay off for eternity. Praying in secret has eternal payoff. Matthew 6, serving the Lord as people, being a part of a church family, serving together. Anything you do on earth for the glory of God is deposited into the treasury of heaven and it pays out forever. Which is good for us. Because there's no small act done for Christ that doesn't have eternal magnitude. So walk in the Spirit. So you can see those things and you can make investments into it. Buster and Laura gave a, a giving testimony beautifully last week. And Buster said this, and we say it often, you can't outgive God. And that is so true. Because God is not bound by what we are. Because you can't outgive an eternal God who is unbound and in his economy, nothing is small and insignificant. And so the dash between the dates, that dash he will use for all of eternity. That's a long time, y'all. You know how long forever is? Forever. And what you do with this... He will use for all of eternity. That don't get your wheels turning, your axles broke. God's good. And that's what Moses is saying. Look at verse 17. We're closing. Let the favor of the Lord your God be on us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. He said it twice. And so for 40 years, Moses had been on the job to bring Israel into a right state politically and religiously and morally. That had been the work of his hands. That was the work of Moses' hands. It was his effort. That's what he's saying. It was his effort. But if Moses was to have eternal success beyond his earthly effort, he understood that his earthly effort had to be placed in the hands of eternal God. So what is your effort? You know, we're all called to different earthly effort. The key is to use our earthly effort to invest into a kingdom payoff, for kingdom payoff. And so establish the work of his hands. The wording means this, to correctly Set for lasting success. And the picture is like a broken bone. Establish the work of our hands. Moses is saying, hey, pray this prayer. That God would correct your effort. So that it would last forever. And when you use your effort under the authority of God for his purposes... Your ways and your effort is established 
and it pays out for all of eternity. And that's important for us because we can have confidence that our effort isn't wasted in that dash between the dates when we keep our eyes on eternity. And you can't keep your eyes on eternity unless you know who your daddy is, the eternal God. There's a story of a professional swimmer. Her name was Florence Chadwick, world-class swimmer. And she had already been successful, successful to swim the English Channel. But she had her goal set to swim from Catalina Island to the California coastline. It was a long way. And now she wanted to take the 26-mile trek and, uh, and be the first woman to ever do that. And so she surrounded herself with all of these boats. And she swam. And she swam. And she swam. For 15 and a half hours, she swam. And the fog began, began to get so thick that she couldn't see in front of her. And she began to get weary. And so at one point, she stopped her, her, her crew. And she said, I'm done. They're saying, Why, what do you mean you're done? She said, I can't see. I'm exhausted. I can't see in front of me. Get me out. So they load her into the boat. And as she got into the boat, she looked. And she was only a half mile from the coast. Two months later, she tried it again. And so this time, when she started out, it was very clear it was sunny. But 12 hours into the, the swim, that fog rolled in again. But this time, the fog was heavier than it had ever been. But she kept going, and she kept going. Not only did she swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, not only did she make that, that maiden voyage, the longest swim in the history uh, for a woman, but she, she broke the record by two and a half hours. And so when they got her in the boat, they said, you know, Claire, what is the difference? Florence, what's the difference between now and two months ago? And she said it was very simple. She said, when I could not see the shore, because of the fog, I pictured it in my mind. And because I knew where I was going, I, because I knew where I was headed, I could continue despite not knowing what the future would hold. See, she had eternity in her mind. She had it pictured. She knew. And so for us as a church family, to know that God is all that in a bag of chips, and that leads him to be eternal, we don't have to worry because God's not worried. Our faith doesn't have to, to crumble because we know where we are headed. So for us, a great prayer to pray every morning is God help me in my mind's eye find eternity. Help me picture heaven. Give me a glimpse of your eternal glory so that I can know that you're holding my hand when I can't see in front of my face. And it's there that hope is found. It's there that faith is stretched. And it's there that you can make the greatest investment with your dash that will impact all of eternity. That's what's at stake. So my challenge for you this morning is what are you doing with your dash between the dates? If you're not sure what's going to happen when that dash is done, 
And the gospel is clearly presented today, one through baptism, that it's only through the work and belief and trust and commitment in Christ that you can even have eternity with God in a forefront of your mind. Because when that dashes up, the opportunity to make that investment is over. So know for sure this morning where your eternity lies and who your Savior is. If you're not saved and sure, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. The other thing is, what are you doing with your resources? Not just your financial, but your time, talents, and treasures. How are you investing those? And if it's being squandered, if you're laying up treasures in any place other than investment in kingdom work, oh man, pray that God would help you establish the work of your hands.